Almighty Father, we ask now that as we consider this night in which Jesus was betrayed and given over to death according to your plan, and this night in which he gave us such a precious meal, will you grant us to hear your voice? And will you grant us to meet Jesus, that the, the end for which he died, the purpose of his death, might become a living reality in our lives, a deeper reality in our lives? Will you do that? Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated, and please turn back to page 5. We're going to focus on the gospel reading there. One of the striking things about Jesus uh, that you see all the time, and you see in particular in this reading, is just his unflinching concern for the disciples. Uh, you realize that this gospel reading, uh, this is the night uh, when, when it all happens, right? This is the night that he's betrayed. This is the night... Uh, that he gets arrested. This is the night when he is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, Father, is there any other way? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He's under just unthinkable strain and distress. And yet, and that, that, this is just hours, minutes almost away, and yet, here he is, he's sitting at dinner, Passover, and he's looking across the table, and there's, there's Judas there. I don't know if he locks eyes, don't know. Then he looks over, and there's Peter. Judas is going to betray him. Peter will deny him. Jesus knows all this. And then he looks around at everybody else, and they're all going to run away. He knows that he's about ready to be alone. He might as well be alone. And in fact, even in our reading, they break out, even after receiving First Communion, they break out and they have a big old fight about who's the greatest. I mean, he's clearly, they don't get it in a fundamental way. And yet, what is Jesus talking about as he's looking at them? Look at verse 15. He says, to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. It strikes me as profound. You know, he knows that they're all going to fail him. He knows that he's going to suffer unimaginable pain, and yet, in spite of that, he loves them. And he desires to eat this Passover with him. The striking thing about Jesus is his concern, not for himself, uh, but for his disciples. And here's what I want you to see. You need to see Jesus' unflinching love for his disciples on that night passes down through all the centuries to you and me on this night. We must take this personally tonight. Jesus' active love for you and me on this night is every bit as real as it was for the disciples 2,000 years ago. And if you and I don't really recognize that tonight, well, neither did the disciples. Now, I can imagine somebody saying, oh, that, that's a lovely sentiment, Jim. Um, how, do you, how do you know that Jesus' love is as 
striking for us tonight as it was for them. Well, the reason I know that is because of this meal. Let me show you three things that the Lord's Supper, the Holy Communion, the Eucharist, three ways it makes Jesus' love vividly real to us tonight. Here's the first. The Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, the Eucharist, makes Jesus' cross a vivid reality for us. Look at the reading. Um, so Jesus is there. He's sharing the Passover with his disciples. And um, if you've ever been to a Passover Seder, you know that there's a set liturgy for the evening. There was back then, too. And the liturgy is, uh, goes through the story, that, the Old Testament reading that we had, the story of the Passover, the story of the Exodus. And so Jesus is uh, leading them through this dinner, and then all of a sudden he goes off script. And he goes off script by taking bread, uh, which signified a number of things. And, and he, he takes it and he says, uh, this bread no longer represents what you have understood it to represent. Rather, this bread now is me. This bread now is my body. This is my death. Now, on that night, clearly the disciples didn't know what he meant. And there's something important about that, because Jesus was not giving them this meal so much for their understanding in that moment when he instituted it. They didn't understand what was going on. He gave them this meal so that weeks later, and months later, and years later, and centuries later, and millennia later, Jesus' followers could eat bread and know without a shadow of a doubt, with greater clarity than the disciples on that night had, they could know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus gave his body for them, for us, for me, by name. Jesus was eager to celebrate that Passover with them precisely because he was eager, even though he, he scorned the suffering that he was about to endure, but nevertheless he was eager to go through it. Why? Because he was eager to give his life for their eternal salvation, and for my eternal salvation, and for your eternal salvation. He was eager. And this meal brings all of that reality into vivid, vivid, present reality for us now. There's something very kind about this, because, um, you know, uh, the, one of the problems with humans is that, you know, we don't live that long. And it's hard for us to imagine that things that happened before we were born and before we were remember, uh, it's hard for us to imagine that those things are real. Right? Uh, we tend to imagine that things that happened before we were born are kind of only vaguely relevant to our lives. And the further in the past something is, the less real often it seems to our imagination. Now, there's nothing particularly rational about that, but it's the way we tend to think. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knows that. And so in the same way that the Passover meal 
was meant to uh, cause the exodus and all that that meant. It was, it, it was meant to cause all of that to be a vivid reality for the people of Israel. So in the same way, Jesus gave us Holy Communion so that the cross could not be something far in the past, like some sort of mythology, but rather something vividly real now, real for us, so that as we eat this meal tonight, we are eating it with Jesus. We are receiving Jesus' death for us. Jesus is eager to eat this meal with you tonight because he gave his life for you. And this meal takes that distant history and doesn't repeat it, but almost brings it into our reality now. Or maybe it's better to say this, this meal, God uses it to gather us up and make us present to the cross. But then there's a second thing that it does. The Lord's Supper also reaches into the future and brings the future kingdom hope into vivid reality now. Once again, the Passover did this. So the Passover, on the one hand, looked back to the Exodus, but on another hand, it wasn't always so clear, but on another way, it looked forward to the Messiah. It looked forward to Jesus. And the same is true here. In the reading, Jesus says, I've eagerly desired to eat this meal with you. I'm not going to eat it again until it is, and this is important, fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He points forward to the kingdom. And therefore, when we eat this meal, when we receive Holy Communion, on the one hand, it reaches back in time, so to speak, and brings the cross to vivid reality for us. But in another way, it reaches forward into the future and brings the future kingdom. Heaven itself is drawn into us, into the present right now. Or maybe better, we're drawn into its future reality. You look at me, you go, that's crazy. Well, um, think of it, just to use a, a silly example, think of it like an appetizer. So one day, if you think this is crazy, this is going to get worse. One day, if you belong to Jesus, the day's going to come when we're going to get there. And we're going to sit down at, in the kingdom. And the kingdom is always described as a feast. And so we're going to sit down at the feast. And we're going to look at each other. And we're going to go, we're here. Isn't it great? And then we're going to say, it's better than I ever dreamed. Isn't it better than, I ever, than you ever dreamed? And we're going to say, yes. And we're going to rejoice. And there's going to be just unmitigated joy. But then we're going to look at each other and we're going to lean over and in hushed voices we're going to say, but isn't it a little bit like we've been here before? Isn't it a little bit like every time we received Holy Communion we were getting just a taste of this. This is better, but we were getting just a taste. I couldn't dream of how great it was going to be, but it was just a taste and it was a precious taste. It was a taste of our future hope. The Holy Communion reaches into the future and gives us a foretaste of the heavenly banquet. Another way to put it is that in this meal, we get to eat hope. And that's very important because if the past can feel kind of like mythology, the future just seems like fantasy. We just, you know, you, you giggle even to think about the future. 
But it's not fantasy. Not if you're in Christ. Eat this meal, and by faith you are eating your future in Christ. And I hope you can see the wonderful kind provision of Jesus for you. The hours before Jesus suffered, Jesus made sure that time would be no barrier between you and between his cross. And in the hours before Jesus suffered, he made sure that time would be no barrier between you and the future kingdom that awaits you. And so Jesus says, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He looks back, he looks forward, but then there's one more thing. And the one more thing is that in this meal, we not only look back, we not only look forward, but we receive Jesus himself. Jesus makes himself present to us by his Spirit. Look at verse 20. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now, the Old Testament talks about the New Covenant all the time, and it describes it in a variety of ways, but one of the key ways the Old Testament describes the New Covenant is that when the New Covenant comes, there's going to be this wonderful bond between God and humanity. That the law is going to be written upon our hearts, and that the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out within us. And when you come to the New Testament, you find that consistently, the new covenant is described as this union between Christ's people and Christ himself, so that by the Spirit, Christ dwells within us, and we dwell within Christ, that in a remarkable way, God considers us to be one person with Christ. All that Christ is by nature, we receive by grace. Which means that Christianity is not just about us looking at Jesus as a wonderful example and imitating him. And Christianity is not just about us hearing commands and, and, and putting them into place. That, that's part of it, crucially important, but it's not the heart of it. Because if that's all there is, then this is, it's just another life strategy. But it's more than that. In the new covenant is this promise of this relationship where Christ and Christ's people become one where Christ is present to us, and we receive him, and he is in us truly by his Spirit. One in trust, one in love, one in affection, one in allegiance. Christ pours out his love into our hearts, and then we return that love to him, all by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if all of that sounds abstract, and you're looking at me and thinking, Jim, what in the world? I lost you. Well, it becomes concrete here. Eat this bread, drink this wine, and trusting Christ's promise, you can be certain that Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. And just as time is no barrier between you and the cross, and time is no barrier between you and the future kingdom, so the distance between earth and heaven is no barrier between you and your Lord Jesus Christ. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, eat this bread and drink this wine, and the cross is now, and the kingdom is now, and Christ is here.
Can you see the kindness of Jesus? He eagerly desires to eat this Passover with you. Amen.